Welcome to another episode of the Worklife Podcast. To find out more about the Worklife Hub and to listen to other episodes, please go to www.worklifehub.com. Welcome to another episode of the Worklife Hub Podcast. I am your host, Agnes Uheretsky. If this is the first time that you are tuning in, let me just say a few words about this podcast. We speak to authors, researchers, business thought leaders, for them to share their knowledge and insight on work-life balance, leadership, culture change and organizational development. In our work at the Worklife Hub, we help companies reform their workplace to create a culture that embraces diversity and work-life balance. We are passionate about building vibrant and engaging workplaces that are great for employees and customers. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can do this via Twitter at WorkLifeHub, on our LinkedIn page or on our website. We're always happy to hear how you like the podcast or any other ideas that you would like to share with us. And now, on with the show. Welcome to the listeners of the Work Life Podcast. This is your host, Agnes. And today I'm joined by Ben Cumming from London. Hi, Ben. Hi there. Thanks so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. Ben is responsible for conference development at Chatham House. This is the Royal Institute of International Affairs. And we're going to be speaking mainly about the future of work in its broadest sense, especially because there's a very exciting conference coming up at Chatham House um, on the future of work on the 27th of June, and it will be hosted at the British Academy. Ben is an experienced content and events professional. He spent time working, among others, also in DC at the Cato Institute, and he wrote regularly articles for The Telegraph and The Daily Caller. So, Ben, um, maybe for the benefit of our global audience, would you mind explaining a little bit what is Chatham House and what is your role there? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Chatham House is uh, well, actually, the one of the world's leading uh, think tanks, uh, in particular regarding international affairs. In actual fact, last time I checked, I think we were the second most influential uh, in the world, and the most so outside of the U.S. But um, a research institute that also uh, focuses on bringing together policymakers, industry leaders, academic experts um, to discuss ways and discuss policy developments as well as industry developments um, in order to advance global prosperity. So we have research departments who do independent uh, research here um, and then we also have our sort of outward looking um, events and uh, uh, external relations side of things. Uh, we also have a very strong member base made up of individual members and corporate members. Um, Chatham House was founded in 1920, immediately after the First World War. We're actually coming up on our 100-year uh, uh, anniversary, so uh, we're doing a lot of exciting things in anticipation of that. Um, in terms of my role here, I appreciate the term uh, sort of conference development can be a little vague, but sort of that's exactly what I'm responsible for. Uh, breaking that down a little bit, I'm responsible for identifying key topics for us to focus conferences on, um, for writing the agendas and the content uh, of the conference topics, obviously in consultation with our internal experts here, as well as external experts from you know the re relevant subject matter leaders on both the policy and industry side, uh, to secure sponsorship for the conference, to 
select the speakers to invite and then of course help run the show on the day as it were thank you so much for giving so much detail and and i think mm. it's it's very impressive um what your institute is doing and i think most of the people will recognize it from different meetings when they attend that perhaps the chair would say this conference or this meeting is under Chatham House rules, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Well, it's actually the Chatham House rule, uh, singular. But it's um, no, that's oh. it's a very good point. In actual fact, I would say that the rule is on an international, global level, about as famous as the institute itself. I mean, that's partially because it's been. Um, we want to say co-opted, but sort of utilized as now a standard way and a standard rule for some debates, uh, essentially stipulating that whilst uh, audience members can use the information however they want, they can't um, attribute that information to anyone in the room. And obviously the reason for that is to allow people to speak without fear of sort of retribution or impunity. It, it really allows that sort of free flowing of ideas that is required for sort of finding some um, solutions and finding some way to move forward on what are incredibly complex global issues. It sort of allows us to tackle um, the big topics um, with people speaking openly and candidly uh, within the rooms. And that's one of the reasons why it's been a, such, uh, it's, it's been proliferated so much around the world. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I'm actually quite curious, Ben, would you like to maybe explain a little bit how the idea for such a conference on the future of work came up mm. because um, everybody is, of course, talking about the future of work, mm. but mainly um, trade unions, um, the OECD, um, futurists, and especially those who work on either digitalization, robotization, artificial intelligence, Internet of Things, or the other side, which is more labor market type organizations. So mm -hmm. I'm quite curious to to also hear um, the thinking and, and the motivation behind. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. And of course, it was, you know, the uh, sort of efforts and the, um, I suppose, pieces written and sort of declarations made by those um, organizations and institutions that, you know, encouraged us uh, to, to approach this topic. But po possibly it's because it was highlighted to us by a large number of our key uh, corporate members and our, our key corporate, I suppose, friends here at Chatham House as being of major interest to them. I think it's sort of important to remember that this is a, a fundamental topic that's really of interest interest not only to you know your technology companies who are responsible for you know actually driving forward these changes and not just you know the HR companies who and the professional services companies who are looking to uh, you know provide solutions on a commercial level um, or indeed just those trade unions it's really of interest to almost any major employer and you know to an extent sort of middle employer of people in the workforce and world today um, and so I suppose it's that level of interest and also that uh, wide-reaching interest that, that led us to do it. Um, one of the great advantages of Chatham House is that, you know, we have, because of our uh, reputation, um, as well as, you know, integrity things like the rule, we have an ability to bring together those senior-level policymakers and those senior-level business leaders and those senior-level academic experts from all around the world. And with a topic like future of work that is so intertwined on the industry side and the policy side and also has such far-reaching implications for economies around the world, be that the UK, the US, India, Estonia, Australia, you know, it, it's so far-reaching that it seemed like a very appropriate um, 
appropriate conference for Chatham House to take up. And probably one of the real added benefit is going to be that people who um, are interested in the topic, they know that from your institute, they will get very high quality, reliable inputs and mm. and inspiration. Because I think this future of work, like any other trendy topic, gets mm. uh, quite diluted. Absolutely. And, and as you know, many people jump on it. This we see also with our own topics when, you know, we speak about work organization or work life balance. And then you see articles like five things you must do before breakfast, you know, and, and you think, <laughs> yes. yeah, it's not just about this. So yeah. um, and, and I think that's probably what is going to be one of your, your very, very important strengths. I mean, I think I think you're exactly right there. And I sort of couldn't couldn't have put it better myself in terms of how uh, topics du jour, especially in it from a conference and a sort of peace standpoint, it does get quite diluted. And, you know, you get a bit of that sort of almost clickbait, sort of, shall we say, slightly less, um, slightly less focused content coming through. And, um, you know, that's obviously true of conferences as well. So we appreciate it's a diluted space. But I think that what we're trying to do with this one is firstly, because of Chatham House's reach and, uh, you know, our ability to secure high level speakers, have a meaningful and productive um, conversation and dialogue on the subject matter, but also by focusing on, you know, the technology drivers and those consequences for the future of work, um, rather than broadening it out too much. I appreciate it's already somewhat broad. Um, yeah. You know, we can have we can have a meaningful a meaningful conversation that actually you know goes a little deeper. In your conference, you are planning to tackle a number of issues. Would you like to maybe just list them and just give a, a quick or brief? Mm. Uh, introduction to these thematic areas that you're going to be tackling? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, sort of first and foremost, we're really going to be looking at the evolving landscape of work, something of a stage setter session, um, if you will. So looking at, um, you know, the, the work landscape as it stands right now, what the, you know, identifying these key technology trends that are going to have the greatest impact um, and looking at how that's going to impact the sort of automation likelihood of different jobs. You know, how is it going to uh, determine and how is it going to change, you know, exactly which jobs continue to be done by, you know, individual human beings and to what degree? Um, and, you know, obviously it's examining that from a global standpoint. So, you know, looking at the implications and the significance of it for workers in the UK versus workers in uh, Europe versus workers, sorry, Central Europe versus workers in the US, India, China, and so on. Um, moving on to uh, session two, we're really looking at a core concern, not just for policymakers, but also for the actual workers themselves, which is what skills will future workers require? You know, what are the greatest skills gaps uh, right now if we look at what are going, what's going to be in demand in the future? And what does this mean for government policy? I mean, what does this mean for, you know, your education priorities? How should you be, I suppose, teaching and training the next generation of workers based on the jobs that they're going to be doing? And that obviously, um, you know, is has implications for the way businesses um, develop their strategies as well. I mean, obviously, industries um, and economies and governments are keen to capitalize on the wonderful efficiencies that these technology breakthroughs can bring about. You know, there's tremendous potential for substantial advancement in the way we work and progression there. But a lot of people are worried about the short-term hardships, you know, be that, uh, I suppose, 
large unemployment is is a major focus for a lot of economies and so that session is really looking at ways to mitigate those hardships and capitalize on those efficiency advances um I suppose moving on from that, we're looking at the sort of working environment and working relationships and how technology is transforming that. Now, on uh, sort of in, uh, on a day-to-day level and sort of in a somewhat media um, media focused level, um, that looks at areas such as outsourcing and remote working. So. For example, companies are now more capable than ever of allowing their workers to work from home. They're more capable than ever of allowing, you know, workers to their workers to be operating hundreds of miles away. And, you know, is this going to lead in some respects to the breakdown of traditional uh, working models? You know, are we seeing to an extent the decline of the nuclear office? So that's one element of this. Now, the other one which has been highlighted a great deal um, in the media and in the public eye lately is how is technology transforming working relationships? Now, what I mean by that is we're seeing the emergence of a number of different platforms and business models that are challenging existing uh, interpretations of the employer-employee relationship. The best example, which is sort of on the tip of everyone's tongue in this, is, of course, Uber, um, who are currently you know, dealing with um, various legal conversations and, you know, I suppose classification conversations that go beyond um, just industry, that go to a policy level. And what um, th- those policy disputes are, are basically about is, is our understanding of employee and employer relationships appropriate given these new platforms and business models? Is it time for us to rethink, you know, the systemic underlying assumptions um, that we make there? And so that, that that's conversation for both the, uh, the policy decision makers and the business leaders. And finally, our sort of fourth session um, is going to be looking at evolving labor markets. So it's really exploring the effects of technology advance on labor markets and um, the implications of this across different economies. So as technology enhances flexibility um, and the ability to match real-time labor supply to real-time labor demand, what are the implications of this? Um, also, also, obviously, that taps into the uh, economic competitiveness of different economies and how they're going to be affected by technology. What are the challenges for governing more and more mobile workforces across borders? Um, and to be honest, the the amount to which these advances in technology could affect labor market liquidity and elasticity and how they continue to affect this. Um, so that sort of takes us to the end of end of the conference uh, on a session by session basis. Chapeau, I would say, because it's a very ambitious program for for one day, but but tackles all the right kind of topics mm. and and questions i would say because i think we have more questions than answers at this at this stage and i mean there are so much information in there but maybe just wanted to just bounce off one of what you said about uh the employer and employee relationship and how that has developed and uh, it was very interesting um the oecd organized their policy forum on the future of work in january and at one of the panel discussions uh, we had um, the vice president of Uber, David Plouffe, and a number of um, number of uh, uh, policymakers, but also uh, trade unions. And what was quite striking, and, and that's why I yeah. wanted to pick up this point, because you put it so gently that they're having these conversations. <laughs> and uh, that, you know, what really struck me is that there was absolutely no willingness from either side 
yeah. to open up to some kind of compromise solution. You know, I, I feel that what is happening on these issues is that we have these parallel tracks of um, ideas and, and opinions, mm. and they're just not crossing each other. Whereas, you know, if we, in a more holistic sense, talk about the future of work and we, and, and you know, there's a lot, so much talk about what is actually the essence also mm. of your rule that we need to express ourselves openly and listen to as many people as possible with their different opinions respectfully. And that's how we will create, co-create new innovative solutions by bringing together unlikely partners by bringing together diverging opinions mm -hmm. if we, if we're you know a group of people in the same room agree on everything then there's not going to be any progress we will get stuck and and i just wanted to ask you maybe a little bit dig dig a little bit in this and on on how maybe you you have considered this on on maybe you will have participants you will have speakers yeah. who will you know say oh robots are going to steal our jobs and replace everything and then on the other hand no no technology is and has always been creating more jobs as they develop so that's also one of the interesting so i also put a lot of information in this one question but just feel free to pick anything if you want to bounce yeah. off one of my thoughts no, absolutely, absolutely. And I think, you know, in, in that question, it really does serve to highlight one of the key strengths of Chatham House for a forum like this one. It's actually one of the uh, key drivers behind the topics we select is because with the rule in place and, you know, with um, that, that being accepted as, as the law in the building, um, it, it does legitimately allow people to speak, you know, with, speak with impunity to speak uh, freely on subject matter. I think one of the core beliefs behind Chatham House when it was founded is that, you know, these issues aren't going to be solved without open dialogue. You know, there has to be a place for key actors, in particular those who disagree. Yeah. You know, people, especially in politics and policymaking, but industry as well. You know, if you have... Um, five guys in a room who will think the same way, you're unlikely to come out with anything interesting. Um, you know, it's just a lot of, of navel-gazing. So it's important to bring together those key opposing parties that are facing these issues today, that, that make up the sort of dissenters and the invokers, bring them together and actually um, have it out in a respectful narrative. And I think that's exactly what we're trying, we're trying to do here. And, you know, Uber is a good example of that right now, but there are, there are others throughout the agenda. I mean... You know, it, it, McKinsey have estimated that, you know, the impact of these breakthroughs is going to be somewhere in the region of five to seven trillion dollars. I mean, I appreciate five to seven is a sort of suitably vague margin for error, but it does give you a, a bit of an idea of how far reaching these consequences are going to be. I mean, bringing a little bit closer to home, um, Sir Charlie Mayfield, uh, who is, you know, wears a lot of hats, but is the... Um, chairman of the John Lewis Partnership. He's also the chairman of the UK Commission on Employment and Skills. And he's also the chair of the uh, British Retail Association. Uh, came out with a statement very recently that um, as many as 900,000 UK retail jobs were going to be at risk by 2025. Now that's enormous for one sector. That's enormous for one industry. And um, I think that we're not going to get anywhere towards taking advantage of these efficiencies and actually moving forward into the future of work. It, it, it's very easy to get um, sort of doom and gloom when you hear about, oh, there's going to be lots of job losses, oh, you know, there's going to be um, a massive, you know, it's going to widen the gap between rich and poor. But it's important to remember that these technology breakthroughs are inherently a very, very, very good thing. 
You know, we're going to see tremendous advance in efficiency. We're going to see the ability of people to be more flexible. There are far-reaching consequences in terms of uh, the increased potential for uh, equality in the workforce and equality in labor markets. And, you know, we'll go into that in a lot more detail at the conference. Um, but it's just about having that conversation. It's about bringing together those key opposing narrative, uh, those key opposing perspectives and actually having a discussion to, you know, push forward towards a mutually beneficial solution. Absolutely. And, and I think what we, we have seen and what we are experiencing is, is despite all of this is already going on, and, you know, some sectors, mm, yeah. for example, the whole uh, book uh, industry, um, there have been, of course, really devastating periods when uh, due to mm. Amazon and other online retailers, you know, big bookshops just went absolutely bust. But there's now a revival. People have come full circle and they mm. do appreciate um, meat. You know, that we, we, we fundamentally stay humans and we want human connections we want conversations we want the touch and feel you know so um i think that we have kind of gone full circle and come out with even now amazon considering opening actual physical bookshops but you have more this cafe cafe type of bookshops you have co-working spaces that are all these hybrid um solutions you know that that come out and 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 i think that we somehow would really need to um, foster more this kind of conversation around co-creation, cooperation. You you see what has Netflix has done. I mean, they are in the business of winning awards. You know, it's it's not even just a streaming, but but because they are able to bridge the fringes of different sectors mm. and and marry them together. And I think that's also what we will see uh, with mm. your point about skills. It's yes. it's going to be. Those the survival of those or those will come out who will be able to have quite diverse skills and experiences. Mm. So whatever we for a period of time consider to be um, people's failures or detours in their careers or, or time out for doing, you know, a retreat in India or volunteering in Africa, or whatever, from a, a career of an economist, we will see how these parts will come together in somehow mm. a harmony to make this full a professional or this skilled person who will know how to negotiate, who will know how to have empathy, who will know how to manage time at the same time as as, as just carrying out their own profession. I, I think you're you're absolutely right on that point, especially on on the discussion about you know the, the, there is a temptation to see this as as a sort of zero sum yeah. game. You know the way it's being framed by the media, or I, I say by the media, that's not, not entirely fair. But it's, the way it's being framed by some people is to view this as you know a job loss to a human being is a job gained by a machine. Yeah. Now I appreciate that's a very you know exciting and you know dramatic narrative, but it actually moves away from you know the productive point in my opinion, which is it's not either or. You can have both. The point is it's changing. You know, it's not... Throughout history, every single industrial revolution has been widely proven to actually increase employment, regardless as to how potentially Luddite you want to be about saying, oh, you know, we're going to lose our jobs to machines. That's not the way it's worked, historically speaking, in terms of employment. Um, there are short-term hardships, absolutely, but that's exactly what this event is about combating. It's about, you know, finding our way towards those hybrid solutions, finding our way towards those new kinds of employment, those new jobs, um, through, through productive and informed debate about what's 
going to be required. Um, and it, it, that's actually a very, very amusing point. I wasn't aware that, uh, of Amazon considering opening bookshops, but there is there's quite a nice circularity to that. Great. So um, before we go and move to our last uh, question, Ben, uh, may I ask you to remind listeners about the website, the URL, where they can find information, uh, maybe social media? Um, well, the, the conference is called Future of Work. Now, probably the easiest way to find that is just to go to the Chatham House website, which is uh, www.chathamhouse.org, all one word. Um, and then you can find it in our events, followed by conferences uh, section, and then the Future of Work event will, will be there listed. Um, as I mentioned, alternatively, you can just go directly to the URL, which is www.chathamhouse.org, slash conferences, slash future, dash work. Now, of course, alternatively, you can get in touch with us directly. Um, you can get in touch with me via my email, which is becoming at chathamhouse.org. Um, alternatively, you can go to our conference's main uh, email address, which is conferences at chathamhouse.org, all of which I believe you'll be able to post, uh, post on your website for this uh, podcast. So thanks so much for, for sharing uh, all these contact details. And we will, of course, also put them uh, onto the page uh, of the podcast so people can uh, maybe go directly to the URL to the conference page. So our last question, Ben, bef- uh, which is always the same one on the Work Life podcast. As you have, as Chatham House has um, corporate members, members who are employers, companies, uh, perhaps you can give us a little bit of insight of, of what would be for a CEO um one of the first considerations about the future of work. What would be your advice for a CEO to understand uh, some of these issues and, and perhaps take the first step down the road of adjusting to the future of work trends? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I think to be honest, it ties into what, what you were saying before, frankly. I think the, the key uh, sort of lens through which to view these uh, developments and breakthroughs is really adaptability. I think part of the reason for that is it's a trend that runs throughout uh, these issues. For example, talking about workplace skills, um, one of the key things that has been highlighted by sort of various futurists and workplace and HR analysts are regarding these breakthroughs is you know not just viewing um, changing skills demand as being okay. There are going to be less people who need to learn how to be sort of steel workers and more people who need or legal secretaries and more people who need to learn uh, skills like coding and things. Actually. What most people are indicating and most theorists on the subject are indicating is that it's actually slightly more about rethinking what we consider skills. For example, adaptability and flexibility being a key one. Um, and so, you know, even on a basic level, I think with CEOs deciding who to employ, I think that's going to be a core consideration that, you know, you should look at in, in every candidate or every prospective worker. And of course, that extends to the decisions uh, you make in terms of your business from the top down. So be that, you know, is there potential for us to take advantage of this efficiency and have more people working from home? Things like that. I think the companies that are going to be left behind are the companies that try to sort of rigidly fight the tide and don't incorporate that culture of adaptability that is going to be absolutely essential for all companies, for all policymakers, and for all individual workers as well um, in light of these big developments and breakthroughs. Great. This was absolutely fantastic that you shared this piece of wisdom 
with us and the listeners of the Work Life Podcast. Uh, ben Cumming, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, taking your time and sharing with us the, the um, thoughts and, and trends and, and understanding that's going on at Chatham House about the future of work. And I wish you the best of success for the conference. Thank you, Agnes. <laughs>